1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: But if Atlas has to carry the world on his shoulders, we need a good, strong Atlas and not too heavy a world. In
0: 1983, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Margaret Thatcher, saw an opportunity in two ways for her party. Her opposition, the Labour Party, was split. The leader, Michael Foote, was to the left of most of the party and put forth a manifesto that was very left-wing, particularly on the issue of the nuclear deterrent at a time when the Soviet Union still existed. At the same time, Britain had recently completed the Falkland Islands War with Argentina, and though that conflict, there's really more to the story there, and it was deadlier than we may remember now. It was within Britain seen as a victory, Thatcher decided it was time to call an election. The result was a huge defeat for the Labour Party. From 261 seats, they slipped down to 209. And the Conservatives under Thatcher, from 359 seats in Parliament, now had 397. Well, I think it's been a pretty good day. First of all, we've got a wonderful candidate. Everybody agrees that Tony Blair's one of the very best possible candidates that could be, and we're very proud of everything he's been saying here, and whatever the result, we believe that he's going to have a very big future in British politics. Oddly enough, the only possible future bright side from the election of 1983 for the Labour Party, otherwise horrendous for them, was that the party gained three future leaders. Tony Blair was elected in '83, and so was future Prime Minister Gordon Brown and Jeremy Corbyn, now the party's leader. And we're looking at another called or snap election. Interesting developments, and I want to talk about all of them. And I have a special guest, I'm fortunate to be able to have a little bit more of a viewpoint on UK politics because we have a listener who's an expert in the field, Stephen Byrne. He is also entered the podcast field with his own podcast, What Am Politics. It is a podcast that discusses politics in a basic way. It is a Stephen, you know, explaining politics to his friend Richie. And Stephen Byrne is joining me on the program now. How are you?
2: I'm not too bad. Good to be talking to you here from Ireland. And and you
0: have been a listener for, for some time?
2: Yeah, I think I started in um, 2009. I think it may have been. I, like, I moved to the UK in 2010 for a short bit. I remember I was already subscribed. So I guess you've been going as long as that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we started in, in 2006. Uh, there, you go. There, there was no one listening in the first month. <laughs> but uh you know it moved on from there so it's great to have a you know to, to to have listeners we do have a few international listeners i i hope we don't bore you with the
2: too much american politics no i know i know we know what we're getting when we subscribe to something like that so it's, it's okay <laughs>
0: you have your own podcast now what am politics anything you'd like to say about that
2: yeah, well, um, a fr- like you mentioned, my friend Richie, he uh, moved to the United States, I think, about nearly three years ago now to San Francisco, and he went over to work in the tech industry, so not exactly the most political thing. He realized that pretty quickly when the um, presidential election was heating up last year that he was definitely living in a bubble, and he really did not understand politics beyond the fact that he was apparently supposed to dislike the other side as they were. So we went driving through um, Eastern California and Arizona on a little road trip, and then when he was having a couple of drinks one night, I woke up the next morning. I think it may have been like about two hours after he sent them because of the time difference, but it was morning time for me, saying that, oh my God, he just realized how politically naive he was and that he needed to broaden his horizons, and of course – Being millennials, the best way to do that is through a recorded podcast with your friend who knows a little bit about politics.
0: (laughs) Right. That's what what, what you have to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't just going to be like uh, exchanges on, you know, text messages. No, you need to record it. You need to try and productize it. So that's that's what we're doing now. And it's been going pretty well. We've been going since the new year. And Um, your topics
0: will be, you know, what am Congress? What am 100 days? What am Trump? Things like that. It's a very basic explanation.
2: You really break it down. Yeah, we do. We start from the very base because Richie isn't lying when he says that he he did not have any political knowledge coming into this apart from what you would just claim by being alive in the world today. So you really have to break it down to a basic level. And I think people out there, they're going to appreciate that because I think the expression people use now is that they're woke. They see the -hmm. world. They see the political world a lot more now. And uh, I think, yeah, we've been attracting a lot of people that wouldn't have thought that they they would want to listen to something like that
0: once in a while i like to go across the pond and talk uh, about uh, british politics i've been following british politics for for some time really since the 90s I, they they have prime ministers questions here in the united states on sunday nights on our c-span cable channel so oh
2: really <laughs> it's a <laughs> no it's lie. a
0: few days delay so i'll jump in on twitter about something that you know jeremy corbyn's it and i mean you know it'll be 3 days after uh, it, it's aired there but uh, so uh, I've watched about his, it since that's about
2: his reaction time anyway,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I've watched it since John Smith was the labor leader, uh and then wow. on his death, uh Tony Blair took over but uh, so I find it fascinating, I just find it fascinating to look at another system, and there's been some recent news, and it looks like the Prime Minister Theresa May has called for a general election and got it. And so in June, there's going to be a new general election. Now, for a lot of American uh, listeners, that's confusing, perhaps because I had done a whole program in 2015. They just had a general election. You know, we have our presidential elections every four years here. The first thing I thought of is let me uh, contact my friend Stephen Byrne from What Am Politics and get a little more background about, you know, what what am happening. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's, uh, well, it's, it was definitely surprising for everybody because Theresa May, when she campaigned for the, the conservative leadership, when Cameron stepped down after he lost the referendum on the, the EU, um, Brexit, um, she specifically told all her colleagues, all the MPs that don't have to worry. She's not going to call another general election early and um, they, they don't have to worry about going back to the polls and trying to recontest their seats which of course when you're a politician who was just elected less than or just over a year before that it's pretty good to think that you're not going to have to go through the um, the the campaign session another, for another four years but then at the easter break just a couple of uh, weeks ago there apparently she came back from a hill walking tour of wales where she decided to talk to like one or two of her closest advisors and friends mm-hmm. And then came to the decision that she was going to call the election early, and that's when she notified the the, the news services like I think maybe two hours before she was going to make the announcement, wow. which is and then even then she didn't tell them what the subject would be, which is very very rare. So the speculation was immediate. Maybe it's something wrong with the Queen's health. Maybe it's something wrong with the Prime Minister's health. But everyone pretty quickly summed up that it was going to be she was going to call the election that she had promised that she wouldn't. Even as far back as a week before that, in an interview. But, of course, what politicians say one week doesn't mean that they're going to have to follow up on it the next week.
0: Well, it's true. I mean, and, and I'm reminded of in Canadian politics, you know, the old Pierre Trudeau who used to, uh, he took a famous walk in the snow to decide whether he should run for prime minister or not and then became <laughs> prime minister for 12 or you know, 16 years with, little, with a little break. I mean, maybe we need to stop these politicians from walking <laughs> outdoors.
2: Well, I mean, when these politicians are walking, they're not exactly alone. I presume the prime minister's got quite a large security entourage as well. well but right. yeah, no, it's, right. uh, no. The image, the image is definitely just her reflecting in front of a be- beautiful, Welsh valley. It's not, not anything cynical at all that she'd planned to do all along. This strikes me as strange. You know, it's, it's, it's just that the, these politicians uh, go for a
0: walk in the woods. You have Reagan and Gorbachev going off in the woods and everything. And, and you know, you think they appreciate nature, but they're still at what I find interesting about the story is not the reflective nature of uh, of the outdoors and, and its calming effect or say, is that is that these political people uh, cannot just look at scenery for it itself. They they look at scenery and what they see is still politics. <laughs> so why go on the
2: walk? It's true. Well, maybe when you're so consumed <laughs> by it all, there's no way of getting out of it. Maybe it's better to be a commentator rather than a pr- pr- practitioner if you can still enjoy the walks. But nonetheless, she
0: did it, and I think that the the event that looms over all of this is the Brexit vote last year.
2: Well, I think it's a double it's a double thing. It's um, the Brexit vote, of course. Um, she does have she has got a couple of strategic reasons for the good of the nation to think that she needs more of a majority in the House of Commons. But then there is also the factor of her opposition leader. Is probably the weakest that the Labour Party has had in Jeremy Corbyn, and maybe since its founding. Um, well, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, she is nearly 40 points ahead in like one-on-one leadership polls on who's a better leader. And then, in terms of who, in terms of the two parties, um, I think there was 20 points at the point of the election called. It's narrowed since, but still, there's 10 points between them in the height of an election campaign. This is nearly unheard of.
0: Corbyn uh, strikes me a little bit uh, like a kind of U.K. Bernie Sanders, except that he did get control of the party.
2: Yeah, I guess there's a lot of similarities there. Um, he's an avowed socialist, just like Sanders. Um, he's been on the fringe of the party, whereas I suppose Bernie wasn't really part of the party. He still isn't, is he? I don't think he's officially a Democrat. Uh,
0: right, he sought the nomination, uh, but he didn't join the party officially. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> whereas corbin he he occupied like a fringe um, left wing um, wing within the labor party itself um closer to the train union socialist side and he well, um, i think what was it nearly 3 years ago now after ed Admi- or 2 years ago after 2015 general election when ed Miliband had to step down um he to get the nomination to run for the later leadership you have to be nominated by about 20 MPs and he got the signatures from a 20 MP saying, oh, well, we'll just give Jeremy, money, uh, Jeremy the chance to have a, a token a token run so that he can get his views out there, which is, I, th- I think probably was his intention. But just at that time, it was the perfect storm of the Labour Party had changed its rules to allow the membership and um, block a vote. So like just general members, you can join the Labour Party for I think maybe five pounds now and then that entitles you to a vote for the leadership, which is just as important as an MP's vote. So the combination of the changing of the rules and then with something in the the political zeitgeist of the party that made them swing very hard towards the same kind of backers of what Bernie was, I guess, people saying, no, we need more hard, full socialist policies in the wake of kind of the austerity practices that have been going on ever since the recession a couple of years ago. So he really jumped on that. He exploited it and then he got elected. So
0: he's popular with Labour members. But he's not popular with elected members of Labour. Would that be correct?
2: That's Yeah, absolutely. So the, mem- the membership, the largest part of the membership of the party now, there are still, I guess, middle class liberal members of the Labour Party, the party, like not politicians who don't like him. But the largest block of the party, they are totally behind them, the activist side, I think you could call them. But the, the elected MPs who have to work with him on a daily basis in Westminster, they've tried to get rid of him twice now and failed both times and I think at the last point, nearly 90% of the party openly declared that they didn't, they weren't interested in having him as leader. And he went back and won the election again, so he still remained their leader. And
0: I'm watching Theresa May at some of the prime minister's questions, and I'm noticing that she's bringing that up. Whenever a Labour member asks mm. a question now post uh, the declaration of this election, uh, she'll say, well, oh, by the way, uh, I noticed that you said you could not support uh, this leader, so why should the voters?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the combination of all these things that keep the party so low in the polls. Corbin is popular with who who supports him, but apart from that, he's he's marmite, you know, the um the spreadable um thing that the English people put on their toast in the morning. It's called <laughs> you love it or you hate it. Well, that's kind of what Corbin is to the voters, and unfortunately, Hello. it looks like most of them don't like him.
0: We'll have to put a link to that on our Twitter when this airs, so that people know. But uh, uh, and and you know, there's so there's no translation of that excitement that propelled him to being leader
2: uh, to the general electorate. Really, it really hasn't happened, and um, mm-hmm. he's been there for. I think well coming up on two years in in the summer although he probably won't make it that far with the with the general election but he yeah it, it has he hasn't been able to translate that message he comes across very badly in uh, prime minister's questions the 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 British media are they don't like him at all they don't cover him well even the Guardian which would be the left wing newspaper always like um, in the in the UK media the newspapers are very much partisan they, they choose mm-hmm. a side that. And they stick with them. So the Guardian, even even them, they haven't they haven't really backed him. They're constantly critical of him. So it, it's very hard to see how, even if people were to be given a chance to to listen to him, because in fairness, when he does speak and when you listen to him in full blocks of interviews, say ten or fifteen minutes, he comes across very well. He's very knowledgeable what he what he knows, and he is able to defend the points that he wants to defend. Some of the controversial opinions, like um, he's against the Trident nuclear weapons system, which is the uh, the, the basically the the British and nuclear weapons program he doesn't agree with with reinstate with refunding that and that is quite a controversial point because most british people think that they should have have these weapons at hand um but when he when it comes to cutting out soundbites he usually comes across as being blithering or not knowing what he's talking about well they did finally get him some
0: new suits Uh, i noticed when he first started it was the 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 tan ragged you know brown and now he's now he's in the kind of he's in the more navy blue and uh
2: yeah, but he's he, like I think like Bernie, even though like this, he, he's still not going to win any uh, fashion contest. He's not going to be beside <laughs> Trudeau up there with the sexiest politicians going at the moment. Uh,
0: probably not, right? Uh, so, so we get it now. Theresa May, the the current prime minister, took over after David Cameron, who stepped down after the uh, the the Brexit loss. He had been in favor of remaining in the European Union and thought the vote was going to go the other way. When that didn't happen, he stepped down. Theresa May took over. Now, Theresa May was not a supporter of Brexit uh, per se in the referendum last year, but since then, her position has evolved since she became prime minister.
2: Yeah, well, everyone refers to her as a quiet remainer. So while she was openly remained, because Cameron allowed his cabinet to choose whatever side they wished. So there were some serving members of David Cameron's cabinet who were out there campaigning against the prime minister. Other ministers campaigned openly. She was remained, but she certainly wasn't one of the, the ministers at the forefront. And then when the when the election happened and the leadership contest happened she was able to kind of step in and saying i was a remainder but now i'm willing to to take over the party and govern the nation according to the people's will so her, her her slogan was brexit means brexit and that they will try to make a success of the brexit
0: so she's going to go to the eu and and while exercising the clause to to leave uh, she's also going to try to get the best deal. That's her position, and other things, but not have to comply with things like the immigration policies.
2: The immigration policies and the another a big contentious issue was the European courts. And um, so, at the moment, the highest court in in the in all member nations, kind of like the American Supreme Court, is the European Court um, in Strasbourg, I believe they're based. So they, um, the the British don't want any of their law to be to have to be be influenced by the the European Court, which um puts them into a bit of a bind because there are other non European Union members that are still part of the trading bloc like mm-hmm. Norway and Switzerland, they do have to accede to those demands. So a disagreement on trade will be decided by the European Court. But if the British are saying that they don't want that, it's like at the moment it doesn't look like it's going to be a very soft Brexit, it does look like there's going to be quite a, a lot of hard barriers put up. Well, because to- the
0: Europeans are looking at it and saying, uh, first of all, we made, uh, I might be putting words in their mouth, but first of all, I made accommodations with you back in the 70s when this this whole European Union idea started, and then in 92 or so when the when the actual union was was founded, we made accommodations for you already. Now you're leaving, it could lead other members to want to leave, so
2: they're not in a in a happy mood. Yeah, well it's it's a bind because number one, you don't want to lose the British market. It's a massive market of people that want to buy things like German mm. cars and, and French wines. So you don't want to lose that trade. But then again at the same time, as you say, you don't want to make it easy for a country like Greece to say, Oh well, we can just leave and not have to to not have to bear any of the burden of being a member but still get all the benefits. So yeah, they're definitely not going to allow anything like that, which unfortunately puts um, Ireland in the worst situation, because we are the only country that shares a land border with the UK through Northern Ireland, and at the moment, as part of the uh, peace, the the Good Friday peace agreement, that is an an open border. In fact, it's like it's a minimal border. You're not allowed to actually advertise when you cross the border that you're changing nation. You just advertise that you're changing county. Ah. And, yeah, it's it's these are the things that are built in, and the EU actually was it's largely written into the Good Friday Agreement as well. Because I guess in '97, when that was being drawn up, they they didn't they didn't even conceive that the the, the UK would leave the European Union. This is uh, the
0: agreement out. that stopped uh, the fighting in uh, Northern Ireland, and, and yes. likely Europe was one of the Europe and Bill Clinton and Tony Blair were the kind of the pressure groups on both of those sides
2: well, Tony Blair was actually part of the UK so they were one of the signatories but yeah, the EU and the EU came in as the, they they integrated parts of the EU law to allow the border to be minimized between the UK and between Northern Ireland and Ireland which was part of the, the the nationalist republican side they wanted to see that happen. But now the problem is is that if you yank the EU out of that, you're going to have to redraw that agreement and then if you also have the problems of not wanting an open border with the with the UK and the EU, well then where does Ireland fit into that because we still want to have an open border with Northern Ireland but Brussels doesn't want to allow goods to just be able to move so freely between two EU nations. It could just be like an open spot to allow basically to, to get through the tariffs and the taxes that they want to put up. So it's it's definitely going to be an interesting two years and all this was supposed to happen in March when Theresa May triggered Article 50 which means that two years after that the UK have to leave the European Union. So that happened and everyone expected for the negotiations to start but of course then gen- the snap general election was called, and now we have to wait until that is finished before the negotiations can start. A snap
0: general, it might be a foreign concept to American listeners because we have the calendar that determines our election. Every four years presidential, every two years for the Congress. Sure. Senators are spaced out depending on state, and they have six-year terms. So for um, we don't have anything like that. Uh, even at the state level, where anybody who's in office can decide that they'd like an election to happen. And it seems like, particularly we're talking about in this case, where labor is in a very poor situation, and they would be the significant opposition. We didn't get into it, but there's also the UKIP uh, party, Cheerio. very anti-immigration, pro-Brexit party, that it seems like having gotten what they wanted with Brexit has sort of Collapsed. So she's in this uh, great situation where opposition is crumbling and she gets to snap call an election. uh Margaret Thatcher did it back in 83, right after the Falkland Islands War. And it seems like it's rife for political manipulation.
2: I guess you guys, the closest thing in the States is the uh, recall elections in a couple of places you can have, but then that puts the power not in the incumbent, it's actually against the incumbent. Whereas, yeah, but in the UK, they actually, they passed legislation called the Parliament Act to get rid of snap elections. It happened in the last government um, before, sorry, before David Cameron. So the Liberal Conservative um, Coalition Party after the 2010 election, part of the agreement for the coalition was that they would pass a law saying that Parliament has to last five years and can only be taken down with a vote of no confidence in the government or a two-thirds um, vote in in the parliament. So when we are saying that Theresa May snapped her fingers and the election happened, it didn't. It wasn't actually that she had to ask for Parliament to pass by two-thirds to allow the election to happen early, which is true. But um, it it
0: which strikes which you know of course begs the question as to why Corbyn and the Labour Party agrees with it.
1: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. report, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign
2: correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan
0: election. And I suppose that is because of the politics of it. And no one exactly. wants to be seen as chicken, if you will. And it's never a good idea to vote against an election. So it almost it, you could almost argue both sides of that, it, that it's not really in a hands. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, it's a tremendous weapon given to the prime minister.
2: It absolutely is. And it basically just means that the Parliament Act, which was supposed to be the great um, stabilizer of UK politics and to take the power away, is completely useless. It doesn't work mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> because obviously if the prime minister wants to have an election her opposition can say no no it's okay you you guys can keep governing we're we're happy not having power because then why why are they in opposition in the first place like what's the point <laughs>
0: True was there any talk though or even any attempt perhaps to argue something like um Okay no we we obviously are in opposition but to do it in June like in other words this is too fast like we want an election just like you let's do it in the fall or something but no one no one tried it or they were too
2: afraid um it didn't even come up mm-hmm. um it, it honestly like um, i there may have been a couple of people that suggested it but at the top level and what was fun in the media it didn't it didn't come up once you called it pretty much even before the the vote happened everyone was getting ready because they knew it would happen
0: What's Corbyn's uh, thinking about this? You know, he's kind of fighting with his own party. Does this
2: does this help him? Does this Um, hurt him? It it well, you see what everyone's like. It's impossible to actually infer what the man's Mm. true, true intentions are, because as a politician, he can't openly say it. So what everyone suspected was that he never assumed that he would have to fight a general election. I think what he was planning to do was to put someone in place that was perhaps more. More openly um more openly votable by by the public and that could 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 oh, okay. take could take his message so it would be like a corbinite who would mm-hmm. take over for him so I think that that was what his hopes would have been he would have had a couple of years to do that that someone like that would have been in place to actually contest it properly but unfortunately that isn't going to happen now and predictions aren't the best things to make in, in in today's political field but with such a massive point difference between between the conservatives and the labor it really doesn't look like there is going to be anything but a, a large conservative victory so it's going to be hard for Corbyn to be able to stay in power after that. It's like his his last straw will have been taken away and he will have to step down. It doesn't look like Labour is going to be able to get out of its problem for the next while anyway. And
0: you don't see any turnaround during the election campaign. Like, uh, there are some projections that the Conservatives, based on the current polls between May and Corbyn, that she could pick up 100 seats.
2: Yeah, I mean when i heard those numbers back when the election was called i thought they were they were very heavily um optimistic for conservatives but with the way things have gone i i, I think that is very that is likely um it unless like well there is there was a scandal that was uh, kind of brewing a little bit from the last election um some conservative um political operatives are being accused of breaking um election finance regulations and there could be criminal charges brought against them and perhaps some sitting mps as well and some, the conspiracy theorists claim that that's another reason why May um, decided to call the election early. But uh, whether or not something like that happens and then makes a big difference to the campaign, it remain, it's 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 impossible to tell.
0: Well, we'll be watching the election results, and in particular, I have a couple of uh, seats um, sure.
2: that I've. Uh,
0: I'll be looking at mostly because I like the sound of the, the names. But <laughs> uh, there's a certain group um I, I, I that, that are like kind of three groups here. Uh one is um seats that are just gonna be a, a bloodbath for Labour if you see them going conservative sure. or losing them. Um and, and feel free to correct my pronunciation, but Ealing Central and Acton, yep. Tooting, Bristol East Birmingham, Sully Oak and Brent North are, are on that list that we'll be yeah. watching on election night.
2: I was checking them out and um, one of the best indicators to try and figure out because polling is very difficult to do in the United Kingdom because, in comparison to the States because there just isn't the same amount of money in that industry as there is so it's hard to tell at a constituency level where this how the swing is happening because of course the national swing is the most important thing but then uh, there are still local issues that can always change individual constituencies but if you check PaddyPower.com, which is a, a betting website, they have a breakdown odds on each constituency, and they are very good indicators to see which way you think it's going to go. And in each of them, Labour are second favourite to the Conservatives.
0: And uh, I just love that uh, tooting. I think it's near <laughs> London.
2: Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's just outside London. Um, one of the like, I mean, these kind of places you would have always thought would have been Labour heartlands because they would have been picked up in the days of tony blair and solidify but no everything's been taken away now in the in the corbin era
0: and there are some seats that are labor the the members there are, are anti-corbin and the constituencies the the people that live there are not corbin's kind of labor a great grimsby yeah. is one
2: of those and stoke on trent and sedgefield um, great Grimsby is an interesting one because that does have a young, um, labor politician who has been very, very vocally anti-Corbyn. In fact, when she, she wasn't, um, appointed to the shadow cabinet, the Corbyn's kind of, um, parallel cabinet to the government, and she accused the female uh, members of the shadow cabinet appointed by Corbyn as just glorified team makers rather than actual, um, Representatives of the Labour Party, which was pretty biting words for someone to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, it does look like she's going to lose her seat as well. And um, at the last election, um, she won with a five-point swing since the last one. But in second place was the UKIP party with nine thousand votes. And as you said um, earlier on, UKIP's mm-hmm. vote has essentially completely collapsed. In the, uh, they just had council elections in Scotland and England and Wales um, just last week, and UKIP. You, that was where they built their base over say 20 years they built them up from the ground by electing local councillors and then using that to get to the position that they got but it looks like that vote has completely evaporated they lost 69 councillors and essentially every seat that they contested they lost so people are expecting the same thing to happen
0: what's a councillor like is there any comparison is it is it like a uh, uh is it like a governor not a governor because it's a body but is it is it like um a local a local
2: congress or a yeah, exactly. It's basically Any, a local a local represent, representative body that manages the very local affairs of the region. So um, be like a county here, or or a state. Yeah, it would be like a county essentially. Mm, yeah, okay. and the councillors they would be they'd be kind of part time to semi full time um, politicians. It would be kind of like. If you got a problem with your rubbish, rub your uh, refuse collection, you would talk to your local councillor, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be talking to them about Brexit because obviously that isn't the issue of the day at these councils. But for some reason, that's where, that's how UKIP managed to, to build themselves up. And,
0: uh, the, and, and so we think their votes collapsed. And I, and I guess a lot of the prediction would be it would go to conservative.
2: Yeah, because Theresa May has really put herself out there as the as the the leader to pick if you want to have if you were pro Brexit then and apparently a lot of the the voters are very happy with how she's implementing the Brexit in the in the wake of the referendum. So they would say, what's the point in voting for UKIP? We're all, like that's happened, so let's move our vote to someone that we trust to actually govern. It's an old
0: political adage. I actually heard it from Dick Morris, who ran Bill Clinton's campaign, and then you know lately he's become more of a right wing commentator, but. He ran a lot of campaigns in the past, and he, he had said that uh, one of the worst things is to give people what they want, I mean, he got <laughs> nothing to run on.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's essentially what happened. I don't think UKIP really, if you were to look at them, maybe they never actually wanted the referendum to happen. That's, why, that's probably why Cameron thought he was being clever to call it, but that, back, that backfired.
0: Well, this is great. Oh, once again, I am talking with Stephen Byrne, who is a listener, and it's also the host of What M Politics, a podcast that I recommend you go on iTunes right now and subscribe to, and you're going to learn a lot about both the UK, Irish, and American politics at a very basic level, and it's really fun and entertaining one of the differences with the UK, and one of the reasons I like to look at uh, UK politics rather than just focusing on history of uh, American politics all the time, is to see different scenarios that people kind of want in America, but may not, uh, we don't have a long history of. One of them is the presence of a third party. And in the UK system, you do have the liberal Democrats who have been a factor, I mean, not always a big factor, but they've been present in politics there was a small election in the 70s where they uh nearly uh with eight seats nearly Mm -hmm. controlled who would be in uh in downing street in the prime minister's office but uh it, it was the 2010 election where this small kind of middle of the way party the liberal democrats rose to get enough seats that the conservatives were forced to go into coalition with them in order to gain the government that in one way it worked out well for them because they had a prominent voice and 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 their leaders were all of a sudden very important people but it actually destroyed the party electorally in the 2015 election and there there's just a few seats left there's some talk that they might now come back
2: um Most of the talk seems to come from the Liberal Democrats themselves. (laughs) Um, They they had um, nearly 40 seats, I think, uh, before the last election when they were in government. And as you said, they got completely wiped out um, in a large part because their coalition partners, the Conservatives, targeted them in each constituency and ended up swiping the seats off them. Um, But they, they went down to eight. They haven't. They've been struggling to try and get back up to the same level of of importance as they used to have and they kind of set themselves out as being the only party that is openly against the idea of brexit though they're almost suggesting that maybe there should be a second referendum to overturn it and i'm not sure if they've actually included that yet in the manifesto or if the manifesto hasn't finished but it's it's a it's a pretty controversial um, stance to take because most of the parties are are saying well we have to accept what the people have chosen it isn't right. it isn't it isn't very politically savvy to try and turn around and say no 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 the people were wrong and we're going to give them the chance to correct us well it, as an Irish person it actually happens all the time we <laughs> we had we had two referendums on EU treaties that um, we voted against but then that actually that stalled the entire progress for the entire European Union so we were politely asked to um, to uh, rerun the referendums. <clears throat> with a couple of token changes and we were good citizens and we voted the right way that those two times i say the right way in what the eu wanted so but whereas the uk um there they consider themselves the first modern democracy their parliament is the mother of all parliaments and it, it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a very savvy point to try and rerun that election again so and plus um their leader um a guy called tim Farron, he immediately got in trouble um in quite a lot of headlines, because he is a he's a practicing Christian himself, and religion in the UK very rarely enters politics. I know mm-hmm. in the United States, you guys love taking in religion. A little <laughs> bit, little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once in a while. <laughs> Whereas in the UK, um, they kind of once they got the whole Reformation thing with Henry VIII out of the way, they kind of dropped, um, and the Civil War, I guess you could say. And, Okay, well, a couple of wars in the Middle Ages and the, the 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 Renaissance, but once they got that out of the way, they haven't really had um, religion enter politics. But Tim Farron um, went on record as saying that he thought that uh, homosexuality um, was a sin. So he spent most of the first week of the election trying to backtrack that and trying to explain why politically and theologically in terms of his morals, he thought it, but whereas it wouldn't enter his, his ability to govern. And in fairness, he was part of the government when they when they brought in same sex um, marriage in the UK. So he does actually have the vote to back up that there, there's a couple of places where they, they could do quite well. And I mean, they, they certainly have a good chance of doubling their seats, maybe even hitting 20.
0: Well, we were looking at uh, Eastbourne, Loose, yep. Thornbury and Yate, Twickenham,
2: Twickenham, Twickenham. That's the first one you've gotten wrong. That's not bad.
0: <laughs> we try. We try here. I have a couple of listeners who correct me right after <laughs> when I did the last episodes. So. And uh, so if there is any chance, th- those are some of them that we'll be looking at on uh, election night.
2: Yeah, I had a, again, I checked the odds for a couple of them. Um, two of them, they looked um, pretty comfortable to get through, and then two of them, they don't look so hot. So that could be an indication as to... As to this surge, it may it may just be like a good recovery, but it definitely would be a surge. I
0: if they it's, were it's to get like, a larger than expected surge, and again, this is just something interesting going to happen sure. in the U.K. politics, that in American politics really, even though we're getting a little fractured between the parties and people within the parties, we still have basically two parties. But in the U.K., I guess, suppose you could have a potential where it doesn't go Theresa may, May's way and there's a group of people who are all in different parties. But are are not in favour of Brexit, who control the Parliament.
2: Well, you see, Labour are actually in favour of Brexit. They they have they have decided to take a pro Brexit stance now, and because they, the they, people have uh, voted right, and actually a lot of people, whereas Jeremy Corbyn wasn't was outwardly for um, remaining, he. He famously um, was always against um, the mm-hmm. European Union while he was uh, while he was kind of agitating from the back benches, as they say. So a lot of people suspected that he actually wants the UK to leave so that he can implement his um his, his socialist his socialist utopia, I guess you could say. Um, where and that's probably why he was able to force his party to vote and um, to to agree for the Brexit, which is what Parliament um, actually were allowed to do after the referendum. Um, I, I don't think. Um, that it's, it's really going to happen. It's mm. it, it would be a nice thought experiment to think. As someone, like, I wish that the the, U, the UK population didn't choose to Brexit because it makes life for all Europeans an awful lot harder now. And it's also kind of annoying to have to listen to them give out for another couple of years while we go through these these negotiations. And um, I wish you would have just sort of remained so that the issue could have been swept aside. But no, I mean, it's probably likely that we're always going to be talking about Brexit. The, well,
0: there's strong support for it, I guess, you know, Southeast England. North East England. Uh, Is this for
2: Remain or Leave? For Leave. Yeah.
0: For Brexit. And then Wales, I think, was pretty strong vote there.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, I'd say outside of London, uh, most of England would have swinged towards Leave. Um, the rural areas and the northern cities, uh, Wales, as you say, they, they were also Leave. Whereas Northern Ireland and Scotland, they were both very much Remain. And then London as well was where most of the Remain vote for the UK um, was and of course that's not insignificant because London is such a large city in proportion to the rest of the country so yeah it was and that's actually we haven't talked about them yet but the SNP in Scotland they're the um, nationalist party of Scotland who wish to see Scotland separate from the rest of the United Kingdom and set themselves up as an independent nation kind of like what Ireland did um, back in 1920s And um, so that's what they want to see happen they had their chance for a referendum um, in and was it 14? I think it was 2014. They lost that referendum, and everyone expected that that would have been that was. They, they said it was the referendum of a generation, and that once they had this referendum, it wouldn't come up again. But pretty much immediately afterwards, in the general election of 2015, the Scottish people decided to give this, the SNP all the um, Westminster seats in Scotland, bar two. Um, one went to Labour, one went to the Conservatives. They um, aren't expected to come back with as many seats. Perhaps the Liberal Democrats could reclaim a couple of their seats up in the north of Scotland, Mm -hmm. and the Conservatives are hoping to snatch a few from down along the border region of Scotland and England, as well as maybe one or two in the city of Edinburgh. But apart from that, the SNP should come back with a healthy 45 to 50. And whereas before that, most of Scotland would have returned Labour Um, mps which was a huge heartland for labor i think like in the 70s
0: when they controlled uh parliament for a good you know harold wilson and cunningham and and those uh i think they were relying on scottish votes uh tony blair in 97 may not have needed it because it was so overwhelming but i'm i'm sure
2: it certainly helped it did i mean they it is well i think scotland really became so hard, hard anti, um, Tory essentially rather than pro Labour when yeah. Margaret Thatcher was in government and um, she, she really aggravated Scottish people and she's still not remembered very fondly up there. And um, so that's why it's kind of surprising when you see that the conservatives are actually coming back in, in, in a slight way because Scotland has its own internal politics. They, they, they almost consider and um, the government in Edinburgh before they would consider the government in Westminster now for a lot of things quite interesting um and i think the
0: reason i want to bring that point out i think this is very useful for my american listeners and very useful for things that we've discussed on my history computer politics in the past because there are a, a group you know that would like to see more third parties here and the one thing i'm always looking to uk politics for the actuality of how that works because sometimes there can be really strange dynamics. Um, not only can you have things like where a small minority can of of opinion can run the government because they're the most unified. That's not so much the case here because the conservatives did get a a majority and Brexit was popular and and all of that. But also, it can destroy opposition parties in a certain way, like you see here. And, and some people will say, well, that's fine, because you just do a coalition, and, and we agree on so many things, you know, like the S&P and, and most of Labour would agree on um, staying in the, in remaining in the EU. But what's happening is, it's it, in my perception, is it enlarges the um, power of the governing party when the opposition split like that, even if the opposition is just different flavors of the same issues.
2: Yeah, I guess it's it's... When you say the third party, I guess you really are, you can only think of the third party when you have a two party system. So that's why in the UK used to be a two party system for much of the 20th century. So it wasn't up until when the, when you had a coalition and surprised everybody in 2010 that people started looking at the smaller parties. Before that, they were just side notes and um, just like quirky little things that you would mm. examine on the fringes, which is why I guess you have to start considering all the other things. Whereas, but most of Europe um, don't have two party systems. We have multi party systems. Mm. So it, it, when I'm looking at it from an Irish perspective, um, my entire life has seen coalitions in, in government in Ireland. And um, it usually is one of two, it is always two, one of two parties who are in the leadership role, but the, the smaller parties are always made up by a big diverse um, block of people. But I think. The only way you can really get that happen is to have a very, very diverse breakdown without two major parties only relying on one or two um, other parties. Because then, as you say, yeah, that's when the opposition starts to fracture and that it's very – and then one larger party could lock down its power for a long period of time until something happens. But if you have one or two or maybe even three larger parties and then a plurality of smaller parties who you can pick and choose and form governments, that's how most of Europe gets through its its political day. It's not – but then – that's kind of impossible i suppose with um, first past the post elections
0: right i think there's we'd need a number of changes for it to for it to happen here it's just an interesting because i think often it seems as the as the route to the happiness of the people and uh yeah i'm not saying it's not but i'm also not saying it's a panacea and and looking at some of these activities here where you're in fact seeing the labor party um almost you know just destroyed by not only the Tories, but also by losing Scotland and the S and P, and and other things, so that uh, and the Liberal Democrats are always a little thorn in some of their seats, so that they're they're uh, not able to fully function as that second opposition always. And, and now we have, and and now possibly uh, the the Prime Minister is grabbing that that advantage. So it will, and and if she does win this election, it's five years.
2: Uh, well, it's supposed to be five years, but
0: uh, yeah, it uh, could we've happen. Got to... I got you it could happen <laughs> yeah. for another vote, yeah,
2: we've all went yeah no it's it's really expected, um it's very difficult to imagine how if she got a majority of anywhere over thirty or forty, how she would be able to use the same justification to go back, and um, she wouldn't be able to say a fractured parliament is stopping her from governing because it's her party that has the power, so it's it's a it's an internal thing no, she wouldn't yeah it, after this election, it's pretty definite that the Parliament act will work, and it will be five years. Great.
0: Well, uh, Stephen, I really do appreciate you coming on to My History Can Beat Up Your Politics and giving my listeners some insight into everything going on across the pond. Once again, uh, Stephen Byrne is the host, one of the hosts of What Am Politics? And I think you should subscribe to that on iTunes now. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show.
2: No problem. Thanks very much. It's been great for an American and an Irish person to talk so much about UK politics.
0: Yes, <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> great to have you.
2: Thanks, Bruce. I want to thank Stephen for appearing on the program. Remember,
0: our website is www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com and please find me on Twitter if you do that, at myhist, at M-Y-H-I-S-T. Also, I'm appearing at this time on the What M Politics podcast. So find them on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, wherever you get your your podcast. Uh, what M Politics. Thanks for listening.